This is a Cop Think podcast where we answer the question, why do the police do what they do? I'm the host, Brian Casey. My guest is Yili Vang. You go by Yi. Yes. And I'm going to say that you're an expert in lawn care. Um, I like to think I am. So I said that right. It was lawn care, is it? Yeah. Uh, lawn care. I did a little bit of trees, like fertilizing trees. Okay. And I think when we first subject came up, you said you volunteered to come to my house and say you'll evaluate my lawn. I haven't done that yet, but no. uh, I think we right now is the perfect time because it's the healing time for lawns. So if we, it's raining now, but I'll definitely swing by and give you my analysis. Wow! So you're already talking lawn care. Lawn care is at the healing time for lawns. So they're getting ready for the long sleep of Minnesota, huh? That and then grass just naturally, um, ideally, this is the cool, wet kind of. So, if you're going to reseed now, I would reseed. But uh, a lot of folks automatically think by just putting seeds in the ground, they'll grow. But there's a lot of preparation with actually preparing the soil for the seeds, too. So, well, I forgot to mention that you're a St. Paul police officer, yes, and that's how we know each other, yes. Um, and you did something else before you became a cop. Let me just say one thing, that the guy, I used to know a Minneapolis cop who was an elephant trainer while he waited to get called up to be a cop. So I thought, well, that was an interesting person. I can't beat that. Well, I'm sorry I brought that up. But yeah. what, so what did you do? Well, how'd you end up learning about lawns? Um, I spent some time in the military, and when I got uh, discharged, when I got done, um, I was kind of in limbo. I, I didn't. I knew that I didn't want to stay in the Navy anymore, uh, and I wanted to come home. So I came home, and I was kind of in limbo and thinking about what I wanted to do. And um, um, there were laborer jobs that came up. So when I started with the lawn care company, I was actually an aerator. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that mechanical process with the grass, but uh, a lot of the golf courses do it. Um, you're basically pulling plugs, dirt plugs or grass plugs out of the grass. So it's kind of your coring. Then you just go through and you core everything. So I actually did that for a, uh, a season with uh, the lawn care company. And then I just gravitated towards um you know fertilizing um did that i did commercial properties um sprayed a lot of commercial properties grass and then i helped out here and there with uh trees fungicide <laughs> um and then fertilizing trees most of the time i was pulling the hoses for the actual technicians but uh once i got licensed through the department of ag to um to apply pesticide or pesticide herbicide um you know i was actually spraying and then um the lawn care company just had a bunch of new trucks so they had like a brand new fleet of really cool <laughs> high-tech trucks and here i am uh i think i was maybe 21 just a 21 22 year old kid driving uh like maybe a hundred thousand dollar brand new truck of uh you know so that was fun well, so when you said you came home from the Navy, where is home? Uh, here, St. Paul. Okay, so you grew up in St. Paul. Yeah. And then uh, you liked the lawn care business. You had an interest in tree care. That looked like promising, but then you ended up a cop. How did that happen? 
I think if I wasn't a police officer, I'd be doing something in the botanical world. I'd be a hoarder, culturalist somewhere. I think I'd be a botanist somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Um, police, policing and being a police officer fell right in my lap. How's that? Um, when I started to go back to school, um, lawn care was seasonal. So uh, most of the time, the lawn care companies would retain your um, your hard your the guys that really enjoyed it or made a career out of it. Um, they would come back the following year. Obviously, Minnesota, um, you know, we don't do lawn care in the winter time, but uh, so they would lose a lot of the. Um, there there'd be a big turnaround. So. Um, uh, why, why did it, oh, schooling. I had to, um, law enforcement fell into my lap because, um, I started taking just real general courses at Metro State. Uh, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but, um, my guidance counselor advised me that the St. Paul Police Department was looking for a CLO position. Uh, that's our community liaison position, primarily for a, or among speaker. And so I applied, and uh, I became a CLO, running around with police officers. <laughs> and then um, doing a CLO, but doing the interpretation? Or uh, that basically, translating, translating yeah, interpretation? yeah I, it was kind of a, <clears throat> the CLO back in 90, 99, I, you know, I, more of uh you were in the office and uh, yeah i mean you were kind of a jack of all trades when officers needed you um to translate you would go with them um you know believe it or not back then uh the officers still wrote reports by hand and uh maybe i assisted a little bit here and there in writing some of the reports but uh uh so i just uh had an opportunity to really be with police officers and in the presence of police officers and in the uh you know um right in the middle of um you know i wasn't going to any of the calls or anything like that but just being in the police so, so you weren't a little boy that said i want to be a police officer when i grow up never oh what, would, what were you saying when you were a little boy you know professional athlete always you know sure. i always wanted to be a football player uh and uh a teacher but uh you know and uh I failed miserably out of uh, UMD before I joined the military. I spent a year up in uh, UMD my freshman year. Had a lot of fun, but academically, I don't, I didn't do that well. Yeah. So after that experience, um, I was more fearful of my mother coming home and having to explain to her that I didn't do so well in college. Um, I enlisted in the military and I thought that I wanted to come up with something because I think my mom would have been really upset if I didn't have like a, a plan B. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so um, have you had, so as a police officer, so then you start doing police work and you've been doing it for a bit. How long have you been a police officer? Uh, 2002 right. is when I came into the academy, so maybe 18. Well, the reason I do that, I'm trying to calculate when you can go back to school and become a horticulturist? I think I can do that whenever. Um, eventually, I don't, think, I don't think I would pursue any kind of formal education for it. I think 
uh, you know, once I'm done doing police work, um, that's definitely an option. A rogue, a rogue Maybe. horticulturist. Just on the job, I would want to be, yeah, right, yeah, right in the midst. The, um, so, let's see here. So, so you have this outside interest, this other talents and abilities. You dabbled in it a little bit, I suppose, because you're, you, you've made yourself available to other yeah. cops and... Mm-hmm. You've helped evaluate the yard. Do you do some testing of the soils and stuff like that? There's different kits. Primarily, you're looking for pH balances. Um, you know, um, then you start to get really technical. But um, you know, a real rough kit is sometimes just a piece of um, copper tubing and a hammer, because uh, you can go in with a hollow tube, hammer it into the ground, and pull a core sample. And believe it or not, core samples tell a lot about uh, the history of your lawn, the history of your property. Um, you can you can look at uh, the thatch levels. You know, I can even tell whether you mulch or if you bag, depending oh, on. No, the I like I like how this sounds. So you could come in. So you wouldn't need a big fancy hundred thousand dollar truck. You no. go beep beep beep. You mm-hmm. back up to the lawn, and mm-hmm. no, you can take a copper pipe and. A hammer. Do your own core sample. Come out and then you get in your zone and yeah. and look at that core and then mm-hmm. render your uh, diagnosis. Different areas of the yard too, I believe like it. it or not. Yeah. Good for you. You know the reason I'm kind of interested in this one is I'm really a I really like trees. Yeah. Um, I'm a tree person, uh, whatever that means. But also I'm very interested in what police officers do when they're not at work and what other talents and abilities they have and um this one just stands out to me a little bit what uh, what are some of the things i can name a couple of things that cops do that are really interesting some are just do laborers um some cops work off duty we know that Mm -hmm. which to me my advice to any cop would in an ideal world is develop an outside interest versus work off duty. If you need extra money, see if you can earn extra money doing something out of uniform. What do you think of that? Absolutely. I think it's just uh, very easy, very convenient to just throw your uniform on and, um, you know, go stand around. Um, But, uh, no, I think if um, for... I think you need to be well-rounded. Um, sometimes it's not easy to escape off-duty. Sometimes you get into the rut of just working off-duty, and it's just easy—you know, not easy money, but it's convenient. But um, definitely, definitely, I—you um, know—I would urge, um, you know, myself, I, to, um, and other officers to. You're absolutely right. If you're looking to make money, uh, do that with some of your interest. Yeah, and it, I'm not a believer that all um, balance is always the highest virtue. Sometimes yeah. intense people, whether you're a cop and intense about your work, there's value in that. I get that. But my something I've figured out is if your whole world is your job, when your job's going poorly, your whole world is going poorly. Dangerous, if, Yeah, it? and if you're... Uh, if your household is struggling and your work is going okay, you can take some refuge there. If your yeah. if your work is going poorly but your household is healthy and well, then you can take some refuge there. But you know, I think you need to have. I, I guess you have to have your foot in both worlds a little bit. And some Absolutely. people some people seem to have to do that seamlessly. Others don't, maybe. But 
it just seems healthy and kind of I when I it took me three years to write the book and I remember seriously thinking rather than do off duty I'm gonna spend my off time writing this book mm -hmm. meaning spend invest time and energy in that something for myself versus what you know how off duty is you absolutely you know, get in the check absolutely so yeah again it's just making money too obviously there's different ways to make money it's convenient um, and easy sometimes to just work off duty but um, you know um, there's you know if you want to supplement your income definitely you there's other things you could do and if you can do that with things you enjoy doing so in 18 years at our department what have you seen other cops do that kind of noteworthy to you for off-duty work or, or not off-duty outside interests maybe not even a paid thing mm, outside interest definitely um, outdoor stuff um, fishing obviously in Minnesota um, hunting that's huge um, I started getting into metal detecting I did that I've been doing that that's really interesting Stuff. So metal detecting, that actually has some application in your yard work, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, but also, um, I can see why you'd be interested in that. I'm kind of a treasure hunter myself. I did something as a boy. I'll show you. It's in the house here. Is these, um, we used to go in these ravines and pull down the loose soil, and we called it bottle hunting. Yeah. And we'd recover ancient bottles and such. And uh, in metal detecting, I've seen people do that. Uh, that looks really interesting. Is that why you do it? You try to find some... Uh, Ultimately, treasure? I'd like to score the multi-million dollar ancient relic. Right, yeah. which you may or may not know where it is right now. Right. It's still zero. I might just give it back to like the, you know, <laughs> to the property owner. <laughs> or the history museum. Or yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good cop does good thing again, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, so you do that. Um, Love hunting and fishing. You do? You hunt yeah, and fish? Yeah, absolutely. Tell us, what, what is your... Uh, I don't like talking about it because it's kind of like riding a scooter. It's really fun, but you don't want people to see you actually doing it. <laughs> but uh, squirrel hunting, really? believe it or not. Which sounds very Hmong to me. It is very Hmong. It is very Hmong and very Karen. Is, oh, Karen. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, that's right. Karen and Hmong. Because, because on yeah. the, our north end... Uh, is that where the Korean population is the highest? Because yeah. I was a patrol boss. Yeah. And they'd get these man with a gun in the woods. And then yes. your first instinct is, well, it doesn't take long before I realize it's yeah. probably some Korean people. Shooting squirrels. Really, and seriously, enjoy, harmless and enjoying their off time, but mm -hmm. potentially uh, violating some city ordinances. Yeah. Uh, squirrel hunting, I've, I've gone down to Missouri. Um, that's offered me... I've kind of, well, I, I started in Minnesota, and I did that myself. Like, none of my family, none of my brothers, um, my dad never hunted. Um, it was because I was a police officer, and I was familiar, I started to get familiar with guns and interested in guns. Um, I just dabbled, and then um, it looked for public places to hunt, and that took me all around Minnesota, and then I discovered certain um areas in iowa so i've been down in iowa believe it or not i've spent a lot of time driving around in iowa and then i just seem to go further and further now i love uh 
I love my spot in uh, Missouri. It's like oh. a nine-hour spot. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You're not. That's as close as you're going to get to telling us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's in Missouri, and it may not even be in Missouri. Yeah. Right. Maybe some other M state. Yes. But uh, the beauty of that is, um, and I've been doing that now Missouri trip for maybe like five years now, and I've just kind of perfected my hunt. So with uh, the seasons believe it or not so squirrel hunting you use a 22 rifle i don't know a 22 rifle and a shotgun really yeah i use a 20 gauge um it depends on you keep the shotgun in case you wound the squirrel and he gets angry and he comes and attacks you i wish there was a really nice gun to where um it was a combination of a 20 20 gauge shell and a 22 (laughs) because there are um in some situations and in some conditions in some time of the sometimes you know certain times of the year uh the squirrels are phantoms of the woods they won't even they'll you'll see like a blur and you're you're just kind of you need to shoot uh through foliage oh i get it and then uh in certain conditions in certain times um they'll just kind of sit at a distance um and that's that would be the year 22 so deter you know i get there i'll usually have both a shotgun and uh, my 22 but depending on how the squirrel i know it gets real technical uh uh, depending on how they're moving the wind direction then um and what uh because sometimes you're in smaller grove trees and then other times you're in big ravines where you've got really like a really high shot too so well and it, that's i had no idea because i'm only used to city squirrels who kind of have, yeah. have attitude mm-hmm. like walk around me kind of they give you dirty looks yeah and they, but they these squirrels uh, are different than the squirrels we see in absolutely oh. they're phantoms of the woods you have to um and then there's two different types that you have your fox squirrels which are the larger red squirrels we have we have them in minnesota mid southern minnesota um and then your common uh gray squirrels your eastern gray squirrels huh. yeah and then do you eat them absolutely yeah. it's in a soup it is oh. uh if you've ever had vietnamese pho i compare it to vietnamese pho with uh, a peking duck mm-hmm. so yeah so do, do they serve that anywhere no uh-uh Believe it or not, you cannot buy, and I've searched on the internet, I actually followed a website because I was really interested, you know, uh, a squirrel meat is what I'm making reference to, you know, to buy um, to buy squirrel meat. And uh, I found this website and I, I, I linked a, a few different pages and at the very end it was a joke. Oh. <laughs> it was a joke and they were teasing about it. They were like, we would never kill little fuzzies. Oh. But... Um, Believe it, you can't buy uh, processed squirrel anywhere. In, in in Because there's just not a market for it? I don't even think anybody does it. Plus, it's a game animal, too. So at oh. some point, you have to go through all the regulations with the DNR. Oh, but okay. all right. you, can, you can buy it in uh, the United Kingdom, but they won't ship it over. I've called them. Oh. So. <laughs> well, so you just have to... So you hunt and then dress the squirrel if that's the right yeah and then you freeze the meat because you want it to last year round uh i probably can't even keep it that long because um i'll probably cook it myself and then most of the time i usually just give them away because uh family relatives 
will know that you've gone hunting and you've been hunting and they'll kind of probe so most of the time you give it away. Why? Because you just have a look on your face? I think so, yeah, absolutely. Wow, this is really... The time of the year, you know, and they'll kind of just kind of probe a little bit. Hey, by the way, if you have any extra squirrels lying around, you know, <laughs> throw some my way. So, wow. Yeah. So you're the, you're the man for the family. Regarding- I, yeah, I think I'm the only person that hunts. So the is there anything else you keep from the squirrel? Um... It's a really interesting, um, it's still kind of really super eerie, not eerie, but um, uh, when I'm cleaning it, um, I, the Hmong, well, I can speak for the Hmong because I've never seen it cleaned any other way, hunting with my um, Hmong relatives and friends. Um, Instead of skinning the squirrel, you'll actually cinch all the hair off, so you'll gut it I don't want to get too graphic but you'll gut it and then um, traditionally before the plump plumbers blowtorch that has made everything <laughs> super convenient for me um, before that uh, you would throw it in the fire and then you kind of manipulate it and scrape it off with the scrape the furs the burnt fur off the so you'd have the hide you'd have the hairs burned off and then yeah. you'd have the hide and preferably that's how I uh, well, that's how I do it. Now it, I do it really efficient with a really hot burning. Um, it's a map gas, and it's kind of a, blow, a plumber's blowtorch. Sure. And what that does is that's uh, a hotter gas, and it just it, you'll burn all the hair off without really cooking or kind of um, interfere. You know, um, cooking the meat too much. Sure. You, it just you know you want that hot heat to just burn all the hair off, and then you scrape it off. Yeah. I thought you said a minute ago that you couldn't compete with an elephant trainer. Because yeah, I'm picturing you, I know where you live, and yeah. you're doing that, yeah. and uh, and you've got these pelts all over, and you. No. Matter of fact, yeah. I'm wondering if you've sewn an outfit. Uh, no, I have started. You know, believe it or not, uh, I was forced to learn how to sew. My mom was uh, very handy with a sewing machine, uh, but uh, my son and I, uh, being of a slightly short, shorter stature. Uh, hemming and hemming pants. <laughs> so by because yeah, I remember you mentioned wanting to be a professional athlete before, and yeah, and instead you end up learning to sew to hem your pants. Uh, sometimes I I I've learned how to do that just out of necessity because uh, we've um, there you know I didn't find uh, pants that fit him would be longer, so I um, you know it's real simple it's just all in the prep work before you actually sew the sewing part is real simple it's the prep work and the cut work and the iron work how did we get onto sewing i don't know okay it just yeah all right so wow this is a sewing and pelt okay a i was squirrel, thinking about yeah. a squirrel out yeah mm. well i actually found like i seen it like i'm making fun of it and i don't know because uh-uh. actually no. it's super interesting and yeah it's, and it elevates your status to me um it would be interesting to keep a pelt. It'd be interesting to skin, but uh, the hide with the squirrel yeah. is preferred. I don't think I've ever had it without uh, the skin. Maybe I'll try it. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, what other, do you have any other talents you want to reveal? Um, not so much. I don't think that's a talent. It's just something okay. I do and something I enjoy. I'm real. Um, but if I'm doing something, I'm. I'm I'm really going a hundred percent. 
So if I'm squirrel hunting, I'm really paying attention to the wind speed and how the wind speed and what time of year it is, the foliage cover, um, even um, you know what kind of trees are there, what's uh, available as far as like food and nuts, water. Yeah. Wow. I I don't hunt, but I completely appreciate why people do. Really technical. It's well, a, and also yeah. just the whether it's spiritual or um, mindfulness part of it, mm-hmm. um, and being in nature, reading yeah. nature, that kind of stuff sounds really interesting. What kind of so? What kind of cop are you? I mean, so when you when you would have all yeah. this pretty healthy or pretty interesting away from work life, when you're at work, are you like in cop mode the whole time, or are you looking at squirrels and lawns? No. Um, I think one of the most important things I've learned uh, from my job or about being a police officer is are the transition periods before and after work. And then we speak of cop mode. Um, and uh, I, I must have learned that at some in-service training at some point. But, um, and they, they spoke of, um, the instructor was spoke of um, transition time yeah and the things you do before you get into cop mode so um, you know part of what I do is um, your ritual you know um, even it, I'll just normally shower just to shower just because I'm even if I'm going to an off-duty job and then you'll put your uniform on accordingly to different pieces and stuff and then at that at that point I think you're mentally getting into uh the um the your, your cop mode um and then after work i think it's really important to for myself i found it uh that if i did anything as far and if i did if i did anything it would have to be um maybe an hour or i'd have to give myself some transition time back into i call it clark kent mode <laughs> yeah well, I like what you're saying. We could do a podcast on this. Uh, are, are, you, are you familiar with Sebastian Junger at all? He wrote The Perfect Storm, but he also no. wrote a book called uh, Tribe. And he embeds himself with soldiers and studies post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Anything he says, I listen intently to. Um, and he says that we are in a largely de-ritualized society. And what I like what you're saying is the transition and the... Um, uh, kind of rituals that police officers partake either personal or as a group I think we're really fortunate that we, po- we belong to a group that has these rituals and processes uh, even all before we st- take our first call just where we you know how, how we dress in the locker room uh, what conversations are permitted and what aren't mm-hmm. um, where people sit absolutely what activity and then kind of going out looking for trouble then Mm. and then uh, returning back and transitioning and that transition thing is a real health and wellness issue too because I know some young officers really struggle with transitioning um, away from the work and then transitioning to work I I had one officer tell me that he could feel the stress building as he was approaching going back to work and that it was a sign he he interpreted as a sign of I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm having major trouble or whatever. Mm. And I thought, well, not. It's good that you can at least identify it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, at least you can kind of start to look at that, or it's more tangible to you. But anyway, um, 
you were talking about the ritual. Oh, so how does that relate to, so when you're at work, are you saying you become, you're not a squirrel hunter anymore? You're no. A, uh, mm. You're a... Focused. Um, <clears throat> focused. I use some of, some of what uh, you're just, uh, you're, 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 you're focused with uh, your surroundings and you're just focused with what you're doing. Um, doing it for the last 18 years, I think I've become efficient at it. Um, and, um, uh, yeah. Do you patrol the neighborhood you grew up in? Uh, no, the neighborhood I grew up in is in central, um, the north end, McDonough okay. Okay. public housing. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, but I ran around all over in St. Paul, so, yeah, I mean, I grew up in St. Paul. Did you have any encounters with the police when you were a kid? Uh, no, I was actually really quiet. It's kind of a quiet, uh, um, and uh, I know I, I had a lot of friends and we'd hang out, but uh, no, we were fearful of police officers and uh, uh, very respectful and uh, just kept a distance and uh, hope that you actually never ran into a police officer. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, let me ask you about, um, so the reason I was thinking about this is what how do you approach the job yeah with this um whatever lawn care interest and all mm -hmm. that I, one time i was in Frogtown and yeah in the front yard of a house and every time they flushed the toilet the yard bubbled um, oh yeah so my. that's not a good yard no but when you uh, one thing is um to, so you must like trees for example yeah our trees mm-hmm I'm really interested in that a tree sometimes will naturally become a bush unless it's tended to. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah. And so... Yeah. The basswoods. Uh, is that... Yeah. yeah. So I'm always thinking, gosh, people pay attention to this because otherwise yeah. you're going to end up with a bush. Even my neighbors do. Yeah. So I always did a deal when I was on a police call standing around like we do waiting mm -hmm. for this or that. Yeah. I'd always trim the boulevard trees. I'd take out my little police <laughs> knife and I'd go yeah. along the boulevard and just The little trim. shoots. Yes, yeah. But they, yeah. Shoots. Because yeah. I, my thinking is one is... I want this tree to grow big and strong, mm -hmm. and I don't want the energy to be diverted into these shoots. Yeah. And I want the higher branches yes. uh, to do that. And yeah. I always thought that demonstrates my um, love for trees, I Absolutely. guess. But yeah. uh, there's more trees than I can keep up with, unfortunately. One tree at a time, maybe. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so you must notice some of these things. Uh, Absolutely. Um, yeah, all over um it it kind of um you know just applying um sometimes it's in conversation believe it or not as a distraction technique or a calming technique if i'm outside with someone with like super high anxiety you know you'd talk vegetables and you know you'd point out you know certain things um and just yeah Totally. Wow. Just thinking, thinking outside of the box and yeah. just talking about other things too, yeah. Well, but what I think you're talking about is talking how people live yeah. and talking about their life too. So mm -hmm. one way people live is they think about what they're going to eat and their yeah. house and their surroundings and mm -hmm. you engage them in that. It yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, something else that we've talked about back on the police deal, you and I have had a conversation about this before, yeah. if you remember, but you were talking about when body-worn cameras came out how that changed this kind of dynamic um, communication dynamic amongst mm -hmm. police officers and specifically w what we talked about was after 
I'll just say the most fun thing in the world to me as a police officer when a call is done is standing around and talking with other police officers. Yeah. Complaining, uh, making, saying something hilarious and mm -hmm. funny, uh, talking what cops talk about. And, mm -hmm. and, and actually, it's our conversation. So if a stranger comes up, we kind of stop and then change mm -hmm. the subject. Now with body-worn cameras, how does, how does that impact what we might consider casual conversation uh, between police officers? Absolutely. Obviously, it's being recorded, so you have to be appropriate. Um, you know, I was really analytical when the, when the body cameras came out. I actually um, mentally wanted to observe how I would change and how I would do things differently or how the body cams would affect me. Um, I even found out, uh, I discovered that my actions inside of the squad car by myself <laughs> driving to the call had changed. And usually I'm, um, and I don't speak as much or you're not as expressive because you know it's being um, recorded. In that aspect, sometimes during the call or if there's a lull in the call or when you're, um, you know, when you're at the house or when you're at the call, um, you know, obviously we go through a lot of anxiety. We go through a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that happen. We have high, really high stress levels. You know, you go from a, a person with a gun to a broken window call in within like 10 or 15 minutes. And, uh, sometimes I've noticed, and I've been lucky enough to been a, be on the force, um, before body cams uh, you know long enough uh before and then with body cams but um some of the most enjoyable conversations uh that helped me out during high anxiety and high stress situations were the joking around and the jokes whether they were perhaps seen in the public eye as appropriate or not but that was our private conversation and that's uh, that was a conversation between you and I because you, you and I, you and I being my uh, your partners or your coworkers, acknowledge that it's a high stress situation, and um, to maybe alleviate some of that, uh, you'd make a joke, or you just kind of uh, probe at something funny. I totally understand what you're saying, and I, yeah. I believe there's actually a science behind it. What it does is communicate to the other person that they're in control of their brain absolutely that they like you know i don't know you and i've experienced this to be the first person through a doorway yeah on a gun call mm -hmm. so you're you're entering a entering a door without knowing what's on the other side mm -hmm. super intense and um and you know as cops uh get ready get on point Mm -hmm. That does it. What it does is communicate. I'm in control of my brain. I'm in control of my breathing. Yeah. Um, and it is really re um, re stress reducing. I don't it's know what it's comforting. Does. Comforting. Maybe that's the better word. To for where it. you and I are sitting at the threshold yeah. of this drawer, and I'm like, "Hey, Brian. Yeah. It's raining outside. Yeah. You know, as or hey, look, yeah. there's a dirty or, spot or, on the carpet. Right. Or you point to something. Yeah. The, you point to something hanging on the wall. That's. I mean, we could go. I yeah. Could numerous things because there's nobody. That I, no career that I know of that goes into more of the home, more homes of strangers yeah. in this career 
mm-hmm. and basically uninvited, meaning they're not they're not cleaning up before you get mm-hmm. there. So you get to see how people live. Yeah. Some people have some interesting things to observe in that environment. But anyway, um, so that's one of it, is that communication you kind of... Yeah, body cams it. have taken that away yeah. because you have to be cognizant of that all the time and that could be scrutinized. And used bef- against you legally. That's the problem. Before, after, during. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and another thing I've often wondered about, and I'm just not, because I'm not in patrol routinely, I'm mm-hmm. just not as good at it as the other cops are, but I've had conversations where they'll, especially in the early days, will look at me like, ah, don't go there. Oh, yeah. Because I'm like, I'm a novice with the body cams. Mm. And I'm thinking, yeah. what? That seems unfortunate. And also, too, is just the strategizing. See, yeah. It seems to me cops should be free to strategize mm-hmm. without having that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how do they do it without exposing themselves to Absolutely. extra scrutiny. Mm-hmm. I guess what the reason I originally asked the question, I was thinking about the post call, and I know that cops can signal each other um, mm-hmm. all clear, meaning hey, we can turn them off and go about our business. Yeah. But it's almost easier just to get in your car and drive away. I think so. I think at that point, you know, and and. Um, uh, and I, and I see more of that too. It's less camaraderie and less conversation. I think sometimes you're just so frustrated. You're just so accustomed to just, you know, as soon as you shut those cameras off or the call is done, let's just get back in the car and oh. go drive away. This is the editor here. We had a technical error while recording the podcast. The following section will have static interference that lasts only for about a minute. And it didn't used to be like that, Um, believe it or not. um, You know, I remember working midnights uh, in Central and um, part of um, dealing with a high-stress situation, high anxiety, uh, a really intense call. um, And I almost almost felt like it was my debrief to where we came around uh, and we talked. And we talked and we joked and we talked about... uh, you know how maybe how dangerous it is. Um, it wasn't like a real um, oh, like a strategic debrief or anything like that. But it was kind of just our way of saying, "Dude, that was scary, man." Well, you know, I, yeah. it's like a mini debrief. Now I'm very yeah. familiar with debriefs and formal debriefs because yeah. of the job I do. But I value more, or I value equal of greater. Equal value is the mini debriefs that happen yeah. numerous times a day, and what mm-hmm. I think cops do is they get in proximity to each other. Yeah, they see that they're upright, they see that they're laughing or angry or joking or sad or I don't mm-hmm. know sad, but um, or impacted or yeah, not. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so comforting because you basically, um, you know, recognize that someone else is maybe impacted or not, or mm-hmm. or, or want to joke about it, or mm-hmm. and all that. It, it's really useful. And, uh, I know that one of the things that was helpful for me was sometimes tactically I thought I did something wrong or maybe I wasn't um, and I was al- always concerned with my coworkers that I wasn't doing something correct or I wasn't doing something wrong or right. So after the call, um, you know, I would believe it would be a chance for me to just kind of reassure uh, my that I was doing everything right. You know, right, or if, kind of like, or if one of them expressed some confusion themselves, yeah. a senior officer, or like, oh, I was thinking this was going to happen and that happened. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, it was such a human interaction. Yeah. You're like really glad 
that they revealed that they didn't. That's why I even wonder, I mean, I got to become a cop without tasers, in-card cameras, and body cams. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I had to learn the craft yeah. without all that. Mm -hmm. I just think of brand new cops. I know that they take in the technology more naturally, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you're just not very good at the job when you start. You have to and then be to have to be recording your misstatements and yeah. zigs when you should have zagged. I mean, that's I call it swag, like your street swag and your cop swag and your your ability to communicate and analyze the situation, analyze the energy, analyze the tension. And to be able to uh, defuse, you know, I think that uh, I think sometimes um, that's lost with all the technological stuff and, uh, you know, all the um, different policing um, regiments in the academy and stuff. I think they've taken that away. It's just, uh, you know, your your um, your your swag talk, your, your ability to just be able to communicate with anybody. Well, and you just said something that I don't yeah. think I've ever heard anyone say, though it seems so obvious to me, is evaluating the energy of a space and the energy of a room. Yeah. I was thinking just today, I was thinking, obviously, police officers, you know, focus on the hands. The hands are the things that kill you and all that. Yeah. But we're really drawn to look at people's faces because we're trying to interpret their intent. Yeah. And also, too, just the energy we get from somebody. I mean, that's often we know when someone's going to flee. Without someone, sounding too zen. Uh, absolutely, and we do that all the time, right. whether we realize it or not, we're doing that all the time, because you're always identifying your greatest threat, uh, and sometimes you're the greatest energy or the greatest, um, uh, you know, the person that's most vocal. Yeah. Yeah. Or the people, person that you, that's holding your attention and all that. Yeah. I actually think when you say this, that this could be taught, meaning if you had a Zen-like instructor... You could do scenarios and like, hey, notice this guy's activity or watch videos. Yeah. Say, notice his mm -hmm. his uh, demeanor or his activity or what yeah. he's doing with his energy. That's Absolutely. Like anything to add to the tool, anything to add to um, uh, what we use. We train all the time. You know, we're training all the time with different techniques and different methodologies and stuff like that. Give me another tool in my toolbox. Yeah. And yeah. also, too, you probably, I'm guessing... Um, you're good at managing your own energy too. Um, I'd like to think I do, yes. Well, but you know, you enter mm -hmm. a room and you're the yeah. cop, and uh, sometimes mm -hmm. yelling helps, sometimes mm -hmm. talking low helps. Absolutely. Sometimes standing and watching helps, mm -hmm. sometimes leaning in and going hands on helps, mm -hmm. sometimes um, being really disrespectful yeah. to their space helps, sometimes being disrespectful to their space helps. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a lot of different angles to take. It's like uh, a multi tool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, before, I, before we finish, I want to just do a quick commercial. Um, um, if you enjoyed this podcast, you might be interested in my book. It's called Good Cop, Good Cop, a Get Healthy, Stay Healthy Guide for Law Enforcement. So I cover a lot of topics in this book, a lot of wellness topics, some of which we talked about. Um, the book can be purchased on Amazon, or you can also find more information about me, this podcast, or the book at uh, the website goodcopgoodcop.com. So, what what else? When you were thinking about coming here to talk with me, what were you thinking about? I wanted to um, make sure I didn't offend anyone, and uh, and or um, yeah, um, not offend anybody, and speak freely. Although speaking freely sometimes is a little bit, 
you'd have to show some kind of restraint but yeah or no i also didn't want to just i want i didn't want this to just be a complaining session where we would sit here and talk about how horrible yeah uh or the or, or the the bad thing or what i recognize as something that um you know like the bad aspects of the job but sure uh, i think we're it's really interesting uh law enforcement work is changing the objectives are changing the methodology is changing it's changing fast if you don't adopt to it if you don't participate in the policy making if you don't voice your opinion in how we're going to do and then the community um there's different expectations uh, and we're trying out different things and it's changing and i recognize that and i've embraced that so well you said it's changing and it's changing fast i think it's it is changing remarkably fast and maybe other people have had this experience that it, they'll say oh my era changed a lot i think it's changed dramatically absolutely and also one reason i know it's changing dramatically is certain officers get sacrificed because of their failure to adapt quick enough mm-hmm. um I don't, I, what I'm saying is sometimes they get caught with an old attitude that is unaccepted, isn't, isn't seen as valid mm-hmm. anymore, mm-hmm. and they end up getting fired or whatever. Yeah. And it's not that they are necessarily bad men or women, it's just that they may have not kept up with how rapidly things were changing. Absolutely. And as wonderfully uh, uh, adaptive as we are as police officers, you know, in just different situations, like I was talking about using multi-tools and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, you totally just, uh, I've embraced it. I'm not going to. Why do you say you've embraced it? Um, I, th- I can say that I've started w- uh, my police career with um, the, you know, in the early 2000s to where uh, it was just a, uh, a more intrusive I think we were more intrusive as far as like um, a little bit more free free flowing in you know in in uh, what we were doing. We had uh, perhaps a lot more discretion, um, and uh, you know so. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to do patrol work for me. I think it was a, maybe seven, eight years, and then I went into. Uh, in uh, officer investigative position with a specialty unit um, for six years and I've only been back on the streets for three so I I went from quote-unquote maybe um, in, uh, in a different m- method of policing and then I was thrusted into this um, this new constantly changing policing philosophy or policing uh, uh, paradigm and uh, so I've so just as a um, um, you know just as a necessity thing for me I think I've just kind of instead of trying to do things the old way or trying to do things how we used to do it um, um, you know uh, initially sometimes you'll kind of just resist some of the change but I actually welcome the change and I'm excited for the change I think um, uh, something it's made some things more efficient I think uh, it's redefined a lot of different things, and I think uh, it's maybe focused uh, law enforcement in on different objectives that maybe we didn't, you know, pay too much attention to. Well, it, I, and I do think, at least, there's some we are actually adapting in some areas remarkably well. Absolutely. Considering 
how difficult our job can be and the unreasonable expectations sometimes. One thing that I remember hearing an older cop say that was profound for me is that if society doesn't want this or that police action, why are you going to just want this or that police action? Meaning, if you, so if society doesn't support what you're doing, if you're going to do it, you're just going to you're just going to go out right. on a thin branch, mm-hmm. kind of type of thing. Yeah. That was kind of interesting thought. Hmm. Who did when you so 18 years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, there were other Hmong officers. Uh, Very few 18 years ago. I think I was uh, the number seventh or eighth. Because I know we've had Hmong officers that have had full. Absolutely. Long careers that are retired. I so call them. I call them the. Uh, oh goodness, I the last of the dying breed. <laughs> of what? <laughs> of uh, the first officers, the first wave of the first first uh, wave of immigrants uh, of among immigrants, and uh, these guys, I th- I think were pioneers. Your Shuachas, your Nyakongs, your David Yangs. Um, I mean. Uh, try learning English and all in tr- being a police officer at the same time. And I think uh, those guys uh, overcame great hurdles and they paved way, you know, they paved the way and they made it, uh, uh, y- you know, by just uh, seeing them as police officers, you, um, you know, it, it uh, you, you just, you, you think it's possible, you know, you just kind of, um, you know that you can do it. So, yeah. yeah. Wow, I'm glad you named some of them too. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. Darn it, I can't think of the one fella that was uh, a desk officer at the, right near the end. But Nia Kong, maybe Shua Cha. Um, can't come maybe. up. Maybe. Well, I'm glad you named those yeah. guys. Who did you? Did you? Uh, whether among officers or not, who did you remember really admiring? Some p- ways, some people did. I had so many or? great mentors. I had so many great. Um, um, all of them. What 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 kind of things did they do that got you, held your attention and was impactful for you? Um, leadership, I think leadership and uh, guidance in um, adversity, and uh, a lot of them led by just um, uh, doing. Like I just observe. Yeah. You know their behavior. Sure. Absolutely. I think um, we had talked about. You had said I was. Um, and I'm, we we're going to talk about or complain or yeah. whatever. Um, there is a lot of turmoil and instability and a lot of flux going on in law enforcement, and it's destabilizing sometimes. Yeah. And there's a, some, at least in my area of mental and emotional well-being, there's a lot of focus on the harm related to the job. Mm-hmm. And some of that's good um, because maybe it's been understated. But I don't like to overstate it either. I mean, there are numerous advantages of being a police officer. Um, and you had mentioned some of them, overcoming adversity, uh, super yeah. challenging situations. Um, uh, for you even to be a police officer in the home, uh, if you grew up in McDonough, mm-hmm. in public housing, mm-hmm. and then um, got to see the police side of the world that yeah. time too. and. Mm-hmm. That seems impressive to me. So. I think one of the greatest things I've taken from being a police officer, and it's kind of cheating, is um, the 
the direct experience so you don't have to actually experience a personal domestic yourself to see what actually happens when you physically beat up your girlfriend or your wife because as a police officer you're in the midst of that and you're experiencing that and you're taking that with you so in 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 you know um thinking back to it it's almost as if it's your personal experience but you're experiencing that at work and you're taking that so you know wow i never heard that that is great i remember when my it's cheating it's cheating i remember when my daughter was learning to drive she was driving with her girlfriend and her girlfriend was distracted and rear-ended a car and i remember the oh thank god my god daughter got to experience a car wreck and it wasn't our car and my insurance mm-hmm. yes up, you know um but the uh experience of being a cop and um uh making observations about the you know not my domestic and all that type of stuff mm-hmm. that's a very interesting point of view yeah um and that's one of the benefits of being a cop is just seeing so many variations of how people live and being yeah. up close and and i've even noticed this is a little bit of a rub for me is there seems to me this increased sympathy uh nationally for the criminals mm-hmm. sure and um and I'm thinking the the problem I have is I've been spent so much time like you have with victims, yeah, and seeing the harm that mm-hmm. what what often is a, to me just uh, lazy, um, selfish behavior, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I get so we get to see been in the matriarchs when the matriarch of a household has died we've been in their home yes when uh, yes when people have threatened to kill themselves and we talk them out of it and we mm-hmm. and they weep and cry on the way to the hospital mm-hmm. we've been with them uh, we've been in their homes we actually think cops are often very sympathetic to the downtrodden absolutely um because they don't want to add to their burden mm-hmm. uh they know how they live how they suffer mm-hmm um, we don't like predator criminals at all Mm-mm. because they prey on people. And, Absolutely. Um, but anyway, wow. So this is really interesting. Uh, anything else you want to add? That's it. I right. guess we you want to complain real quick and be bitter? Um, no, because no. Yeah. Just because I do it enough by myself in the car sometimes <laughs> with the camera turned off. Oh, funny. Yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate you Thanks. being yeah. this with us and um it's important for cops to talk about what they think about and why cops do what they do and i I, you gave me a lot of new insight into the mind of a police officer so and then actually we'll talk about lawn care here off 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 the mic Mm -hmm. all right thank you so much thanks brian